We're going to begin with a reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, so I invite you to take your Psalter hymnals and turn to page 890 in the back, or page 243 if you're using the Forms and Prayers book. But we're going to look at the three questions and answers from Lord's Day 35, dealing with the second commandment. Just for reminder, the second commandment starts, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So let's read questions 96, 97, and 98. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. But may not images, as books for the unlearned, be permitted in churches? No, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. There we have our reading from the confession. And then for our scripture, we'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can find that on page 175 in your pew Bibles. So this is Moses' lead up to reciting the, re-reciting the Ten Commandments for Israelites. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting at verse 15, he has these words for Israel. Verses 15 through 24. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 
Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the commandment we have before us this afternoon has to do with not making idols to worship. Hold on, you might say. Didn't we just talk about idolatry last week in regard to the first commandment? What then is the difference between the first two commandments? Well, as we talked about last week, the first commandment has to do with trusting something in place of or alongside of God. So idolatry is making something that's not God into a God. And as for the second commandment, making for yourself an idol has to do with trying to worship God through something that you have fashioned. So it's not an idol in place of or alongside of God, but an idol that is your representation of God. So if we can just avoid fashioning these images of God, does that mean we have fulfilled the commandment? No, of course not. For even the commandments that are stated in the negative have an implied positive side to them. What then would be the positive side of not making for yourself a carved image in the likeness of any created thing? Is it simply to worship God properly? It's not too far off, but it's a bit more comprehensive than that. The positive side of this command is for God's creatures to be conformed to his image. So we will look at this commandment through the theme of God redeemed us to be his image bearers. And we will see how being God's image bearers manifests itself in three ways. First, in our worship. Second, in our service. And third, in our instruction. So let's dive in and see how we are to be God's image bearers in our worship. I hope that the language of being God's image bearers has reminded you of the day God created Adam and Eve. Especially the verse that says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. How often do you stop and marvel at that truth? We are made in the image of God. The God who created the universe, who has no beginning and no end, and is almighty in power, created us in his own image, in his own likeness. There are traits in every single one of us that are reflections of the pure attributes of God. We understand, of course, that God's image has been stained by sin. But still, what a humbling privilege it is for us to be God's image bearers. After reflecting on that for just a moment, does it then strike you as comical that we would turn around and try to make images of God? Who but God alone could make an image of God? As our text says, Therefore, watch yourselves carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. But yet, because we are fallen image bearers, that's exactly what we try to do. I know what some of you are thinking. The Israelites tried to make images of God, but not us. We would never try to worship God through some sort of image that we fashioned ourselves. 
Now, that's true as long as we're only talking about physical objects like a golden calf. But let me remind you again that these representations of God don't have to be physical. For us, they are most likely mental images. They are versions of God that we fashion to align with what we want from him. Think of the different versions of Jesus that the world claims to worship. You have a gay Jesus who honors any committed relationship between two people. And there's social justice Jesus, whose chief desire is that the oppressed be free from their oppressors. And don't forget the love-only Jesus, who smiles at everything his children do because love is far better than justice. We could go on, but I don't think we're too tempted by these awful versions of Jesus. The idols we wrestle with are a little more subtle. Maybe you worship a blind Jesus who only sees what you do on Sunday and not the rest of the week. Do you follow a deaf Jesus who doesn't really hear you, so you might as well not bother praying to him? Or maybe a weak Jesus who is powerless to deliver you from temptation. There's also the grandpa Jesus who just winks at you when you disobey because he knows you're a pretty good person overall. And then there's a mute Jesus who won't tell you plainly what to do with your life. These misrepresentations of Jesus, too, are images of him that we fashion to our own liking. So we see that the first way we are to be God's image bearers in our worship is by actually worshiping God as he has revealed himself in his word. He is self-existent, unchangeable, infinite, indivisible, omniscient, wise, good, loving, holy, righteous, true, and sovereign. If the God we are worshiping is missing any of these attributes, then we are really worshiping an image of God, not the true God. And there's an attribute of God that should affect how we worship God as well, which the last two verses of our text make clear. Look with me again at verses 23 and 24. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I would guess that this reminds us all of Nadab and Abihu, who were consumed by fire when they offered impure worship to God. God had given them very clear instructions about how tabernacle worship was supposed to be carried out. And yet they did their own thing by offering unauthorized fire before the Lord. Okay, you might say, that was in the context where God was very detailed about the worship he commanded. But what about in the New Testament context? Has God been as detailed in describing the worship that he desires from us today? Well, if by detailed you mean a complete order of worship, then no. But that doesn't mean our worship isn't addressed in the Bible. God's word tells us things to do like preach the word, pray, and take offerings. And it also sets an example of giving greetings, benedictions, and singing. And when we put those things together in an ordered fashion, we end up with a worship service like the one we're participating in right now. You'll often hear this referred to as the regulative principle of worship. 
But if Nadab and Abihu were killed for offering unauthorized worship, how can we be bold enough to offer worship to God based just on guiding principles? Brothers and sisters, our access to the holy God does not depend on how good our worship is, but upon how good our mediator is. Listen to how the author of Hebrews states it in chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The reason we can offer our worship to God is that he first offered his son to redeem us. That means we offer our worship as a gift of thanksgiving to our Lord. The reason we offer worship in accordance with his word is because we love him and we want to please him with what we offer. And what better way to do that than by getting our guidance from the word that he himself gave us. We become God's image bearers in our worship when we allow our worship to be guided by love for God and his word. But although the second commandment is mainly about the worship we offer on Sundays, it doesn't seem right that this commandment would only apply to a single day of the week. So what bearing does the second commandment have on the rest of our week? Answering that question leads us to exploring how we can be God's image bearers in our service. After they were created in God's image, Adam and Eve were given service or work to do. So often we equate work with the brokenness of this world, but that's not what work was originally intended to be. Adam and Eve loved the work they were given because it was good work to do, and they loved doing their father's will. But sin changed all that. After the fall, our work has been cursed to cause us trouble and pain. The image of God that existed in enjoyable service to him was lost. Still today, we still feel the effects of our work being cursed. Not only do we have to deal with our work taking place in a world corrupted by sin, but we recognize that the sin in our hearts keeps us from doing our work perfectly as well. In verses 16 and 17 of our text, we read, Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves, in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. These verses describe the kinds of carved images that the Israelites would be tempted to worship God through. But we should ask ourselves, what was so tempting about these kinds of idols? Why would one even want to worship God through an image shaped like a cow or some other creature? God was not so much worried that the Israelites would come up with these images out of their own imaginations, but he understood that they would be surrounded by pagan nations who already worshipped their gods through images like these. And what made the pagan nations turn to idols through images of creatures? It was all for material gain. They thought that by worshiping their gods the right way and offering the right sacrifices, their gods would reward them with the material blessing they desired. 
they were worshiping in order to make gains in their service or work during one week. Now tell me this, what part of that is a reflection of how things were in the Garden of Eden? None of it. They weren't worshiping and working out of love for their gods. They were working for selfish gain and worshiping to increase that gain. So if that's how things operated back then, how different are they now? Not much, if we're honest. We still face the temptation to separate our service from our worship. It feels natural to just work hard at our jobs to ensure that we and our families have a comfortable standard of living and still give the obligatory tithe. It's hard to maintain a mindset of working for the Lord and doing our best solely because that's what God calls us to do. We're also tempted to use our worship as a bargaining chip for God's blessings. Have any of you wondered why your farm or business faces more setbacks than that of your unbelieving neighbor? Have you thought that you deserve a promotion based on how faithful you've been to God lately? Or kids, have you ever procrastinated on studying and then expected God to help you do well on your test because you went to church instead of studying on Sunday? When we peer inwards, we find that we so easily pursue our service to God in an idolatrous fashion. So what's the solution? Can we just shake ourselves up and try not to think that way anymore? Of course not. When Christ came to earth, he lived a life of perfect and pure service to God. He fulfilled for us the demands of God's law by serving God in no other way than what God commanded in his word. Christ accomplished what we could no longer do, perform our work perfectly. But Christ's perfect work is not just something we talk about and point to from afar. Because Christ dwells in us through his Holy Spirit, we are renewed into his image. When we are connected to the vine of Christ, his sap flows into us and we are made alive to God. So being image bearers in our service is not just adopting the new skills you learned in your personal development course or continuing education. It is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit into the image of our Savior. Brothers and sisters, this truth is what allows us to obey this commandment out of thankfulness. Our work can be so discouraging at times and leave us feeling frustrated and defeated. But in the power of the Spirit, we can lay aside our selfish ambitions and be the image bearers we were called to be, doing our work because we love the Lord who gave us the work to do. Being God's image bearers in our daily service can feel like a daunting task. With so much influence from sin, how are we to stay grounded in the truth? How are we to avoid being worn down by our daily struggle against evil? The key to these concerns lies in being God's image bearers in our instruction. God gave us a regular schedule of being nourished for our service in his kingdom, the Lord's Day. And although our bodies benefit from resting every seven days, the true nourishment we receive is food for our souls. So how are we nourished by instruction? First of all, Notice how the Catechism puts it in answer 98. God wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word. 
It's not the day of rest, the fellowship with our church family, or the education hour that solely nourish us. And as wonderful as they are, it's not the singing or the prayers either that equip us for the week ahead. It's the living preaching of God's word. The first thing this implies is that the man leading the worship service present the living word of God to the people. The minister's assignment is not to speak what's on his own mind or share the latest self-help research. His job is to present the word of God. Why? Why is it so important that he stick only to the Bible? Well, after some of his followers left him because his teachings were too hard, Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to leave too. And Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If Jesus is the only one whose words have eternal life, why would we look to anything else? What could possibly trump Jesus' words when it comes to our salvation? So then why do we not just read from the Bible for 30 minutes? Wouldn't that be as rich of a diet of God's word as possible? Well, remember why so many of Jesus' followers left him. They found his teachings too hard to understand. And although we have the benefit of both the Old and New Testament in our hands, there are still things that God said that are hard for us to understand. So the job of the minister is to take the hard things and make them simple, to make difficult things easy to understand. So as a pastor in training, I always need to be asking myself if I am staying true to the text before me or if I am wandering into my own thoughts and ideas. Thankfully, the elders and pastor of the church are also helping me to spot when I start to get off track and point me in the right direction. And I'm thankful that they do, because my words are as fallible as anybody else's. But God's words are living and powerful. The second thing this implies is that those hearing the minister are actually listening. For what good does it do for a minister to faithfully expound on the scriptures if the congregation is unwilling to listen to what is said? So you, the congregation, need to be asking yourselves things like, am I listening submissively or as a critic? Am I here to be fed or to check the attendance box? Am I listening for my own edification or so I can hear what my neighbor needs to know? Listening the right way doesn't come naturally to us because in our sin, we don't like to admit that we need to be shown the way. So if the minister is explaining the word properly and the audience is allowing themselves to listen, what message should be communicated? Well, to start off with, it should be the message that comes forth from the selected text. But we believe strongly that there's more to it than just that. When we read of Jesus teaching the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The ultimate message that should be communicated in every sermon is how that text of scripture is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the one who makes the preaching of the word come alive. The reason God is so adamant that his church be instructed by his word is because eternal life can only be found in Christ as revealed in scripture. 
And after a week of toiling and serving in a sinful world, it is only the message of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, that can give rest to our weary hearts. We are God's image bearers in our instruction when we are nourished by the image of Christ himself. So we find that in these three areas, our worship, our service, and our instruction, we are enabled to be God's image bearers only through our mediator, Jesus Christ. And God sent his son to earth because he desires that his people serve him as new creations who display his likeness. So take heed. Simply attending a church that doesn't use idols is not enough to be saved. The body of Christ is made up only of those who are united to Christ and are being made new. And the freedom of this commandment is that no amount of bootstrap pulling will conform you to the image of God. Christ has lived as the perfect image of God, and he bestows that image on all, to all who look on him in faith. So stop trying to polish yourself up and let his blood cover your sins. Let your worship, your service, and your instruction flow out of your love for your heavenly Father and your desire to be like him. Put away your carved images of God and rest in the fact that he redeemed you to restore you to his own glorious image. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, Thank you for your wonderful law. Thank you for creating us in your image and giving us the ability to reflect on who you are. We confess that our sins tarnish your image in us and we do not reflect you as we ought. Thank you for the gift of your son who lived a perfect life of obedience and has restored us into the image of God. Help us to live as faithful image bearers in our worship, our service, and our instruction. We rely on your Holy Spirit to do this faithfully, O Lord. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our mediator. Amen.